Good afternoon, Chicago sports fans, and thanks for tuning in once again for Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. As always, this is Dustin Reese, joined by Cole Little and Cole. A uh, very, very exciting week in Chicago sports, I must say. What, uh, kind of, what are your thoughts on that so far this week? Yeah, lots going on. Uh, again, as always, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, we got a new head coach of the Bulls, uh, another Wild Bears win, of course, playoffs near league baseball. Yeah, there's been a lot going on for sure. Uh, we'll actually start with the Bulls today, so that's kind of a pleasant change considering how the Bulls have not been very relevant since Tom Thibodeau left. But Bulls did get a new head coach. Billy Donovan was their selection. That was my choice from the beginning, and I wanted Chicago to – go after him right away but it seemed very quiet and you never really heard his name come up in terms of interviewing with the Bulls I'm starting to wonder if that was kind of the Bulls front office plans kind of to keep that under the wraps a little bit yeah maybe um, but yeah we definitely talked about how he should be the leading candidate so I think it's definitely good on the Bulls to get that done um, from everything I read, the selling points were some of the things we brought up in terms of giving him a young team to build around, you know, to to establish his own um, coaching style and and build and get that young core built around um, the way he coaches and get them ready to be playoff competitive. So um, apparently, that really drew him in. Um, of course, the 76ers and the Rockets and some other teams still have openings, so he picked the Bulls over those teams. So that that's definitely a good sign in terms of knowing that he wants to be there. Um, and, yeah, I think that's a more run higher for the Bulls and uh, really, you know, I think the best coach on the market. I'm I'm not surprised the Bulls went after him. It'd be completely foolish if they didn't even try to entice him to come to Chicago. With Philadelphia and Indiana, they were obviously more kind of the win-now rosters, where if they brought in a coach right now, they would obviously be set up for postseason success as the Bulls are more of a long-term success where if you can build a team the way you want it to be built, you can kind of lengthen that success versus a short-term success. But you look at the teams that Billy Donovan has coached and some of the players he's coached, going back to when he was at Florida. You had Joakim Noah, you had Al Horford and Bradley Beal with him at Florida. Then he goes to Oklahoma City where he gets to work with Kevin Durant, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, and players like that. So he's no stranger to identifying a, super, a superstar player and then also working with that superstar player. Zach Levine might not be considered a top-tier superstar in terms of what you see in, like, a LeBron James or a Stephen Curry and players like that, but he is the superstar on the Bulls, and I'm very interested to see how Donovan's going to handle Zach Levine and if he feels like Zach Levine is, like, a long-term fixture for that organization. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's the – you know, most promising player right now, or at least the most um, likely to be the leading man down the road. And I think that'll be interesting 
see how these those two work together. Um, you know, the Bulls have some young talent, a lot of building to do, um, a lot to do to round out that roster. Of course, they have a new front office for the first time in a while as well. So it really is a new beginning for that team. Um, I think that's probably what attracted Donovan the most. You know, because you look at the situation in Oklahoma City, and it was strange in that OKC kind of entered a rebuilding mode when they didn't necessarily have to. And obviously Sam Presti, who's been the GM there forever, forever pretty much, it's his team to run. I feel like Donovan and Chicago have more of a say regarding personnel matters and, you know, how to build his team. So, um, yeah, I, I imagine I can imagine that Levine will be the cornerstone and they'll look to sort of build around him and, and Kobe White and some of the other young talent they have, Lori Markinen. And, uh, yeah, they should be, especially considering they're in the East, they should be playoff competitive as early as, you know, this coming season. So, um, you know, it'll be – it'll take a few years, obviously, can compete for anything big, but um, uh, in terms of making a deep point, but I think that, you know, Donovan it must be in it for the long haul, so to speak, and um, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, great that the Bulls were able to get him in there. I think that's just the best hire they can make right now, considering the circumstances. Yeah, I think I saw this morning they have Obviously, the roster hasn't changed or anything yet, but as of right now, they have the Bulls' win total for, ne- for next season at 34.5, which Eastern Conference, a lot of times you can get in with 37, 38 wins, so they're kind of on that cut line right now to get that eight, eighth seed in the playoffs. What I'm curious about as well is I brought it up last week with how Chris Paul and Billy Donovan interacted in Oklahoma City. And we know the Bulls don't necessarily have a true point guard on their roster. They have a couple players that can play point guard, but they're not like true point guard leaders that you can look to lead a team long term. So I was kind of on a thought process of intriguing the option to see if Chris Paul would be interested to following Billy Donovan here for the next couple of years and with his veteran leadership kind of mentor the young roster. But another name that came to mind is, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal worked very well with Billy Donovan in Florida and has credited Donovan with a lot of the way he's developed as a player. I'd be very interested to see if one of those players would like to come to Chicago to follow Donovan. Yeah, that's definitely something to look forward to in in terms of seeing if that will come to fruition. Um, I know we touched on Paul last week. Uh, I think Beal actually – um, gave Donovan a vote of confidence after he was hired by the Bulls. So, uh, yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, for Beal's sake, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, he's spending a good portion of his prime years in Washington with a team that's, that's just kind of been stuck in a quagmire in recent years and not really advancing any. Um, of course, if you know, John Wall can get healthy again. I mean, they'll still have a, a, the best backcourts in basketball with those two, but um, that's definitely something to keep an eye on if Beal would be interested in potentially ever joining Chicago and, and 
um, joining the ranks with Donovan. I expect you'll see more of that probably now that Donovan's with Chicago as far as former Florida players maybe who, who played under Donovan. Yeah. Um, who will be interested in, in coming to join him or maybe some former Thunder players as well. Um, you know, like I said, with with OKC, I mean, Sam Presti pretty much ran the show the whole way, and I, I'm expecting Donovan will have at least some say in personnel decisions in Chicago. But, uh, yeah, that'll be key is for them to get some type of veteran, you know, not necessarily a superstar, sometimes veteran, notable, you know, star player um, in there to, to help, you know, get them playoff ready and take them to the next level. So, you know, it'll, it'll be a success for sure. But, um, as far as this first year with Donovan, just maybe competing for like the seven or eight seed in the East, I think is, is not out of the question. So, That'll be, I guess, the first stop point for them. I guess a big vote of a big vote of confidence for Bulls fans is kind of what Donovan said post accepting the Bulls offer. During the interview process, he came right out and said that taking on the Bulls head coaching job is going to be his most difficult coaching job he's ever taken on because they don't have the star players that the Thunder had when he came in and they don't have the recruits that Florida had when he was there. So it's not like he's taking over a roster that's loaded with superstars, but he also said that he trusts the Bulls new front office more than he trusts the front office of any other job openings on the market showing with Billy Donovan showing trust in the Bulls front office. And I know he's very widely respected and is a very much of a people person in terms of like how he interacts with players if he's going to trust the front office coming from the position he was in in Oklahoma City, I really do think now the Bulls can be much bigger players in free agency because they might be able to entice now different free agents to come to Chicago knowing that Donovan trusts what the front office wants to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously, you know, the Bulls had the Gar Packs uh, front office for so long and um, that kind of ran its course. So now they have – um, you know, Artur Kornisovic in there, and, and, you know, he's already spoken highly of Donovan. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's Donovan's way of saying that part of, you know, without really coming out with that maybe part of why he trusts the front office so much is because that the, they trust in him or are going to kind of give him a little bit of say in those matters. But, um. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's a challenge that you really wanted to take on. I mean, obviously, Florida, you know, they were established as a powerhouse for a while, so he was used to getting top-tier recruits. Um, and then, like you said, he walked into a gold mine in OKC, and, uh, you know, of course, they lost some star players along the way, but then we get new star players to replace them. Um, but this is a new... Uh, take for him you would have to go back to early in his coaching career in college maybe you know when he was at Marshall before he went to Florida or in terms of something like this where he just has a clean slate um, necessarily a lot of star power not too high of expectations right off the bat 
But uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to be looked as the gets who you know who gets the Chicago Bulls back to relevancy, eating best best in the East in the conference. So um, clearly, it's a challenge he wanted to take on. And uh, yeah, I think that should be definitely something that Bulls fans are excited about, and that um, makes them confident in this kind of job that he he can do in the long term. Definitely. And then switching over now to the Bears. Uh, Bears are two and zero football team. They are tied for first in the NFC North with Green Bay, but unlike Green Bay, the Bears very easily could be zero and two. And I don't think there's going to be too many people that will debate that because they played a very battered Giants team that continued to get injury depleted as the game went on. They lost their best player, and they were still within 20 yards of winning that game. And then the Lions dropped the pass with 15 seconds left against the Bears in week one to lose that game. I'm happy the Bears are sitting at 2-0 because they haven't been sitting at 2-0, I think, since 2014 or 2015 was like their last 2-0 start. But – they might be the worst in terms of 2-0 teams. They still have a lot of work to do. Just what are your thoughts on the Bears so far through two games? Right. Um, you know, obviously we touched on previously that they had an easy start to their schedule, so they could easily be deceptive, you know, 2-0 or 3-0 team. Uh, this past win over the Giants, this past weekend's win, um, yeah, it was, you know, it's just a classic kind of weird Trubisky performance and it culminates with a good defensive performance that gave him a win. Um, you know, Trubisky looked the best he's looked in a while in the first half. Uh, and, you know, he could have looked even better, but there were a couple drop passes that weren't his fault. Uh but yeah, they they got off to that hot start. They drove they drove it down the Giants' throat on the first possession of the game. Um, you know, Montgomery looked pretty good. Obviously, he got banged up, but was able to come back into the game. Uh, but yeah, it was just a really strange game because it's like in the second half they just couldn't. They just lost all their mojo that they had in the first half on offense, and you know the Giants. I mean helping matters for the Bears was the unfortunate injury to Saquon Barkley, who got hurt, I believe, right off the bat in the second quarter and didn't return. So, um, yeah, it was a weird game. I mean, they benefited from some of the mistakes that Daniel Jones is prone to making, and uh, and they benefited from the fact that the Giants, quite honestly, might be, especially now without Barkley, might be one of the worst teams in football. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it was a stark contrast in a way or really like a mirror image of the Lions game and that they um, they came out hot, looked good in the first half. Trubisky looked good, made several great throws. They put together some solid drives. And then the second develop any kind of consistency, um, you know, even in that drive kind of late in the game when they had the fluke, uh, four down conversion where Bobby Massey caught the deflected pass. Even that drive stalled out. So, um, but they were able to hang on for the win. I mean, second straight week it came down to their opponent having the ball with a chance to score on the final play of the game, um, a chance to score the winning touchdown, uh, and it didn't happen. 
Um, so the Bears survived. Now they're two and a, and now they get a Falcons team that's probably reeling from, you know, one of the worst meltdowns you'll ever see against the Cowboys. So they could easily be three and zero, I think. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. It is a deceptive two and zero for sure. Um, but I mean, if they can just pin together a complete game and Trubisky you know, can sh- can can stretch out these flashes of brilliance he showed, whether it's the fourth quarter of the Lions game or the uh, first quarter of the Giants game, um, then, you know, maybe they can turn into something. I mean, the defense for what it's worth, with the exception of early on in that Lions game, it's been pretty solid so far to start the year. Uh, we'll see if that lasts when they, you know, the harder the opponents get. I mean, obviously the Falcons have a star-studded offense, a high-flying offense, so we'll see how they do against them. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange 2-0 start, but I guess if you're the Bears, you just got to take it and just got to keep rolling. Yeah, and the thing that I guess you want to talk about, uh, one of the worst meltdowns ever. Uh, Falcons are getting known to be a team that melts down. They have their 28-3 meltdown in the Super Bowl against the Patriots and I would argue that this meltdown against the Cowboys was even worse than that 28 to 3 meltdown that they had in the Super Bowl but we also saw what Atlanta did for 57 minutes against the Cowboys Mitch Trubisky put together a decent first half against the Giants and not a very good second half not three terrible quarters against the Lions and then puts together in the fourth quarter if he does not play a complete game against Atlanta. I don't like the Bears' chances on Sunday, mainly because we saw how Atlanta looked against Dallas the first 55 minutes, and you know they're going to have that sour taste in their mouth now where they should be 1-1 one one as opposed to 0-2. Oh I think Atlanta's just going to come out with uh, an angry mindset on Sunday where they're just going to want to get after it and get after it early. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, that's just kind of how – that's just – kind of how the Falcons roll, I guess, um, you know, year after year. It's like so many sickening losses, but they're kind of bounce back and show these flashes of brilliance. I mean, obviously for years now they've had a high-flying offense this, this able to rack up yards on really any defense. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Bears are going to have their work cut out for them for sure. Um you know, I don't expect the Falcons to, uh, you know, experience any type of serious lulls like they experienced against the Cowboys or suffering meltdowns um, because that's a coaching staff, a head coach, Dan Quinn, who already might be kind of coaching for his job. The Falcons are 0-2. It was kind of surprising that the Falcons opted to hang on to him after last season. Um, so, you know, we'll see if they can turn things around. I mean, that's a team that's, that, you know, probably had Super Bowl aspirations in a way coming into the year. So they're going to want to get the win for sure. Um, and yeah, the bears are going to have their work cut out for them. You know, we'll see what the, that defense really is made of. And, uh, we'll see, you know, Trubisky will be up to the task of, of competing with, Matt Ryan for off four quarters and putting together a complete game 
Uh, yeah, but I mean, anything based on what we've seen, anything could happen. I mean, if the Bears were to pull out a good win, I wouldn't be surprised if the Falcons won handily, especially at their home stadium. I wouldn't be surprised. This will be a kind of a statement game for the Bears after they were sort of fortunate to pull out their first teams. Uh, we'll really see what they're capable of, what they're made of here in this third game. And then taking a look at the rest of the NFC North, um, the Lions are 0-2. I've, obviously, I would argue they should be 1-1, and and they actually did play the Packers very tough this past weekend. But the Lions are a very banged-up team right now. They're missing their leading receiver in Kenny Galladay, a lot of their secondaries. Mm-hmm. So that's a team that I think is better than their 0-2 record, and I think they're going to get better the healthier they get. Minnesota, I have no idea what's going on with Minnesota this year. Yes, they had a lot of turnover on defense, so I expected the defense to struggle. But that offense in Minnesota right now is, if you would use the word pathetic, that would actually be putting it lightly to this point because that is a very veteran-led offensive group, and they just look completely lost on the field the last two weeks. And then you got Green Bay. Green Bay looks like a very good football team right now. I don't know if it's just because, you know, Packers got – the Vikings with a young defense in week one, and then they got an injury-riddled Lions team in week two. The Packers will have a test this week as they had to travel to New Orleans, I think, on Sunday night. So this will be kind of their first real test of the season. But looking at the NFC North, are there any surprises that you've seen so far? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty surprising how bad, like you said, the Vikings offense has been. Especially this past weekend, Kirk Cousins looked pretty, pretty bad. Um, you know, obviously they lost Diggs in the offseason, trade him away, but I don't, I can't really think as to why that would affect that offense to that extreme, especially considering there was so much turmoil around having him in the offense last year. So that being said, I don't necessarily think that. I mean, it's really just. You know, it's like they've just gotten off to as bad of a start as you you could um, for an offense of that caliber. At least in week two, I mean that was a that was a pretty bad performance. Um, you can imagine that Dalvin Cook will step up in the coming weeks, and Kirk Cousins will kind of right the ship. But um, we mentioned this before; it's going to be really hard to make the playoffs um, in the NFC because of how how many great teams there are so the Vikings are gonna have to turn things around hurry I guess I've been a little surprised at just how dominant the Packers offense has been Um, of course they've dropped a whole bunch of points through two weeks racked up a whole bunch of yards Um, you know I think that maybe the media was hyping up the possibility this could be a letdown year for the Packers' offense, especially since they controversially drafted a quarterback early on in the draft as opposed to getting a receiver. Um, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers has looked amazing. Um, Aaron Jones has been amazing. Obviously, he had the game of his life against uh, in week two against the Lions. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Packers definitely look like the team to beat in that division right now, which what's new, you know, the Packers have, have kind of owned that division obviously for a while now with the exception for a year here and a year there. Um, 
so yeah, and and the lions, like you said, they eventually uh, get better as they get healthier. Obviously, Galladay back will be here. She's missed both games so far. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't. They might be kind of odd team out, or it might end up being the Bears. But um, yeah, for now, it, it definitely looks like it's the Packers uh, to to lose in terms of winning that division. So um. We'll see if that changes here in the coming weeks. I'll touch on one more thing about the Bears. Uh, by now, everyone knows that Gail Sayers passed away this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the greatest running backs, not just in Chicago Bears history, but one of the greatest players in the NFL of all time. Obviously, you and I were too young to have a chance to actually watch him play, so I was kind of looking through old highlights of when he was a player and he was a great player. I'm not going to say that he wasn't. I don't think anyone's going to say that he wasn't a great player. But anytime you lose a player of his caliber, especially one that meant so much to the Bears organization and meant so much to the NFL world as a whole, you just kind of got to take a step back and just remember what you could remember from him. Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, obviously, this year, especially, we've, you know, it's been such a hard year all around. And, uh, adding to that, we've it seems like we've lost a disproportionate amount sports legends. Um, and yeah, losing Gale Sayers is tough. I know he's battled with uh, pretty severe dementia. He had a battle with dementia for for a few years, so um, that's just really tough all around. But yeah, I mean he's he's a, a legend, and you know when you think about the fact that he only played like like, I don't know, six, seven years in the NFL um, and what he was able to accomplish. Uh, you know, he's considered an all-time great running back. Uh, it's really impressive. Um, of course, injuries kind of cut into his career toward the end, forced him to retire a little early. But um, he was able to accomplish so much, um, you know, even with some on some Bears teams that weren't weren't exactly great, uh, of course, early on in the Super Bowl era, the Bears weren't the most competitive, but he certainly was. You know, he had the uh, six touchdown game in the mud against the 49ers. It's widely regarded as being one of the best, if not the best, single game performances performance by a player in the NFL and. Yeah, he was just amazing. Freak athlete, freak athleticism, um, freak agility, uh, great out in the open field, could do a little bit of everything. Great return man, uh, was being a receiver out of the backfield. So he was just an awesome all-around player, and um, yeah, Bears legend, right up there with with Walter Payton. Obviously, is the one who punch as being the two greatest running backs in Bears history. And uh, yeah, he'll he'll certainly be missed. Um, Kansas Comet, he was a awesome player and a Bears legend for sure. I know most people always say that obviously Emmitt Smith is going to be considered the greatest running back of all time because he has the yards, he has all the records, but you also got to realize he played longer than anybody. But then you have that list of running backs that was kind of just under Emmitt Smith, where I would put. Walter Payton up there is probably one of the top three running backs of all time. You got to put Barry Sanders up there, even though the guy only played nine seasons. He's in the top five all time in rushing after just nine seasons. And 
Gail Sayers is another one of those running backs that's kind of on the border of the top four, top five running backs all time. So it's pretty impressive that the Bears have two running backs who many people would view as top five running backs of all time, and neither of them had the type of careers that some of the Eric Dickersons and Jim Browns and Emmitt Smiths had because they didn't play as long. Yeah, definitely, um, especially Sayers because, yeah, he, you know, seven seasons, um, you know, and it, it's not like he played because obviously like pre if you go back to the 40s, 50s, a lot of those running backs because you just got beat up so much worse back then, um, you know, it was pretty commonplace, uh, you know, pre-modern sports medicine to have, um, you know, short careers for running back. You know, six or seven, maybe eight years was as long as they would kind of go. But most of his career was during the Super Bowl era, you know, early on in the Super Bowl era, albeit. But he yeah, only played seven seasons uh, and then had to hang up due to injury. But that goes to show how talented he was and how much of an impact he made in his career that he's still considered an all-time great runner the way that he is, you know, like you said, potentially a top five all-time running back. <clears throat> of course, within the past year, the NFL named their 100th anniversary team, and he was on that. He's also been on the 75th anniversary, the 50th anniversary teams. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, five-time first-team All-Pro five years in a row. Um, you know, led the league rushing twice, four-time Pro Bowler. Uh, yeah, was also an amazing college player at Kansas. Just was an awesome running back, one of the best there's ever been. Like, so versatile. Um, you know, he was kind of ahead of his time in a way because he was a, a t- you know, f- for those days at least, he was pretty tall, lean running back, a really quick, really agile, you know, could stop on a dime, could make quick cuts. Um, and that's part of what made him – so great I think is you know back then you still kind of had that era era of just having burly bruising downfield rushers um and he was such a athletic freak of nature who could make anything happen at any given time so um yeah an all-time great bear and all-time great running back so uh rest in peace to Gale Sayers uh given how well actually this is actually more surprising than given but we know how successful chicago baseball history has been especially kind of in the early 1900s when the cubs and the white Sox were two of the better franchises back in the day but so oddly enough the teams have only been in the playoffs three times during the same year 1906 they both made the playoffs and then they went over 100 years and they both made the playoffs again in 2008 well now for the first time in 12 years, both teams are going to be in the playoffs once again this year. This is one of those years where you could just wish you could have fans in the stands for baseball because playoff baseball in Chicago this year is going to be a heck of a time. But starting with the White Sox, uh, last week we were talking about the White Sox being the number one seed in the American League and one of those teams that really had a legitimate shot to make the World Series given what we were seeing out of them for basically a month and a half straight. Obviously, they're still contenders, but for the first time, I would say since the first couple weeks of the season, the White Sox are actually struggling heading into the postseason, and now a division that looked like it could have been clinched last week is now up for grabs as the Twins are within a game of catching the White Sox. 
Yeah, at the time we're recording this, the uh, White Sox have lost three in a row. And like you said, the Twins right behind them. Um, you know, win division is going to be so key, so important, I think, in terms of seeding. Um, and you know the White Sox definitely want to do that. They don't want to risk not having a um, home series to kick things off. Uh, like you said, I mean, you know, playoff baseball in Chicago, you wish there could be fans in the stands, but at the very least it would be cool to have two uh, home playoff series in Chicago going on at the same time. Uh, the best of three wildfire series that is before they head to the bubble. But yeah, um, you know, they're five and five in the last 10. The twins have, have caught up with them. Uh, the Indians aren't too far behind either. Uh, but yeah, the White Sox are going to have to kind of get things going again if they're to win that division. You know, it looked like last week when we talked that it was going to really be their division to lose. Uh, but the Twins hung around. You know, part of what helped the Twins hang around was was limiting the Cubs to two runs in three games uh, in that series. And of course, the Twins took two or three from the Cubs at Wrigley. Um, but yeah, the White Sox are going to have to work that out for them. That's a division race that might come down to this weekend, the final weekend. Um, and as far as the Cubs, of course, you know, last night, despite losing to the Pirates on a walk-off home run, um, they still clinched the postseason berth because of another walk-off home run, the Nationals walking it off against the Phillies, which put the Cubs in the postseason. Obviously, the Cubs are gunning for the – division title, the NL Central title. They're not going to celebrate too much or rest on their laurels until they wrap that up, um, which they can do pretty now. Um, but, yeah, um, it's, that's going to be the key thing is holding off the Cardinals here these next few days uh, and getting the division title wrapped up. But, yeah, it looks likelier at this point that the Cubs will win, win the division um, then the the White Sox, and uh, obviously, like you said, it would be cool to have two best of three playoff series in Chicago at the same time. Um, better yet, if this were a normal year and we had a, the chance of you know fans at the stands at the normal ballparks, um, you know, we could have potentially a Chicago versus Chicago World Series, which would be incredible, but obviously, that's not going to necessarily happen. We could still have fans in the stands for the World Series, but it would obviously be in Arlington, Texas, in the bubble. Um, but, yeah, that's just – that's an unfortunate thing. So that would really be something to look forward to, a potential Chicago versus Chicago World Series. It would, be, it would at least be something to kind of hope for that would be really cool. Yeah, the next – the next two games, I think, are going to make or break the Cubs in terms of the division title, in my opinion. This team is, if I could use the word frustration enough, it would basically sum up the Cubs' offense to a T. Uh, what They go basically, what, an entire month where they have a hard time scoring four runs, and then they get like on a six- or a seven-game stretch where all of a sudden the offense looks like they're starting to come around at the perfect time. You face the Twins, you score two runs over three games. You face the Pirates, and 
take away the eighth inning of game one on Monday, they haven't done much offensively against the Pirates in this series, and the Pirates pitching is not one of the better pitching staffs in baseball. Cardinals still have a game with the Royals today, and then they have the Brewers on a five-game set over the weekend. Let's just say the Cubs go one and one, or at the very worst, go zero and two the next two games, and then the Cardinals close to within a game and a half heading into that final weekend. That's just not the type of pressure I want the Cubs to have on them when they have to face a White Sox team that you know is going to be probably playing better baseball than what the Cubs thought they would have been playing a week ago, knowing that the White Sox now are going to be battling for a division title instead of setting their rotation up for the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the Cubs are, you know, the thing with the Cubs is I really think they just need to worry most of all about getting back into a rhythm. Um, they've been fairly inconsistent offensively uh, since late August, honestly. Um, of course, they had that recent run of wild wins. They had the walk-offs. They had the ninth inning comeback against the Brewers. But, you know, they've shown signs just sort of falling apart again offensively. I mean, they've only, interestingly enough, the one thing they could always count on in during offensive lulls was hitting home runs. But, you know, Rizzo's home run last night was the first home run in nine days for the Cubs. So, um, yeah, the twin series was weird. I mean, they they had the one to nothing win, but then were but then, you know, got dominated in the two weekend games. Um, but then took care of business in the first game against the Pirates. But then last night, you know, all that they really had going for them was the late two run home run by Rizzo. So they're going to need to use these last two games against the Pirates, who obviously have pretty much nothing to play for but posterity. They're going to need to use these team, these two games to kind of right the ship, you know, maybe rack up some big innings, develop into a rhythm um, before they before they have to take on a White Sox team that might have a heck of a lot more to play for uh, than the Cubs do for the three game set to wrap up the season. So, um, too many. I mean, really not going to have hardly any kind of you know chill. Uh, games where you can kind of, you know, not not too much pressure applied to the Cubs like you'll have for these next two Pirates games. So they should take advantage of those and, you know, try to get to um, commanding wins. Uh, you know, and then we'll see how things shake out this weekend. I mean, obviously the, in the series at Wrigley Field, at Wrigley between the Cups and the White Sox. I think it's safe to say the White Sox were clearly the better team in that series, uh, pretty much all around. So this will be an interesting series um, to see if the Cubs can bounce back and, and maybe return the favor at the White Sox Stadium. So, uh, yeah. I mean, these last five games, the Cubs need to worry most about getting into some type of rhythm because once you get to the postseason, you can't have these kind of offensive lulls like they're prone to having, or else it's going to be a, a short set in the playoffs for them. And what you were t- what you were talking about, uh, the Cubs need to get in rhythm. I really don't know what they can do to get in a rhythm because you look at that lineup. Jason Hayward is the only everyday player in that lineup 
that has yet to have some sort of a slump at any point this year. He's had like maybe a one or two game slump here or there, but he's like the only hitter that hasn't gone into like a two week funk where they can't get anything done. Mm -hmm. Ian Happ is still hitting in the two sixties, but just three weeks ago, he was sitting in the two nineties, 300 range. So he's now hitting his funk that everybody else has been stuck in for what seems like the whole season. As we get, as we get to now the final five games of the year, if I'm David Ross, now is the point where I'm looking at the roster and I'm looking at who's producing on this team and who's not producing. We know what happened with Chris Bryant now on Monday where swings and misses at strike three, hurts his oblique, and now he's going to be out until most likely the postseason. But at this point, do you even want Chris Bryant on the roster? He's hitting a 190. He has two home runs and five RBIs. David Bodie's hitting similar to where Bryant is average-wise, but Bodie's got five home runs and 26 RBIs. At this point, if Bryant does have to miss time, or if Kyle Schwarber, same thing, Kyle Schwarber's hitting a 190, if both of them are chosen to be like bench players come the first round of the playoff series, David Ross is going to have to start facing some tough, tough decisions where it's going to be like, you guys are not producing. I have no choice but to start somebody else that's producing. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. You know, the thing with Brian is just because of what we know he's capable of, if he's able to get here within the next week, you know, by the time they start their wild card series, uh, I mean, I can expect him to start every game uh, just because, you know, that'll be really difficult to leave him on the bench with what he's capable of. Um and, yeah, you mentioned Schwarber. I mean, you also mentioned, you know, the Bryan injury. And, and also with Schwarber, you had the interesting moment recently with him getting benched for uh, misplaying and, and kind of loafing the field, that the uh, ball in left field that resulted in a twins triple. So that was interesting to see from Ross making that decision uh, in terms of saying that, you know, everything is earned at this point, nothing is given. I won't hesitate to bench guys who aren't giving it their all. So that was pretty interesting, but it, it kind of lit a fire under Schwarber, who was the player of the game the next night against the Pirates. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you just got, you got to have those guys in the lineup if they're healthy and able to go because of what they're capable of, capable of doing with their bats. Um, but, yeah, that's just the unfortunate reality of the Cubs, not just this year, but in recent years is so many of those star players are capable of, of getting into funks, getting into slumps. Um, you know, it's one of the side effects of having so many guys who are kind of home run or bust in a way and not having too many guys who are good at taking walks. Uh, like you said, Hayward, um, who's one of the few guys in that lineup who's pretty consistently good at getting walks, drawing walks. He's really been the only guy who hasn't been in a slump at some point this season. Um, you know, it's it's interesting with Hap because when they were having sort of their struggles, like in that Cardinals series and around that time, he was hitting the ball as, as you know, better than he has at any point as Cubs tenure, really. Now he's been in kind of a funk. Um, you know, it was sort of hopeful that he would pop out of it here in this pirate series because since he's a he's a Pittsburgh native and he always seems to hit really well at PNC Park. Um, we'll see what he does these next two games. 
he's he's sort of in a slump right now. Um, you know, thankfully Baez is you know he still have his games where he's where he doesn't do anything, but he definitely seems to have been more effective over the course of the past week or than he was for pretty much all of August. Um, but yeah, that's just the one of the pitfalls of having this lineup is is great and as talented as it is is there's just a probability of having guys going into these hitting slumps like they're prone to do so um gonna have to snap out of that gonna have to develop some type of consistency that i'm afraid they're not gonna last too long in the postseason yeah tonight they're facing trevor williams who's one and eight with a 6.70 era if the Cubs offense struggles to score on him, they're going to have more issues than I think we can even talk about right now because Trevor Williams has not looked good in any single one of his starts. And if he can keep the Cubs offense in check for, say, even five innings in this one, the Cubs might as well pack their bags before the playoffs start because as it sits right now, the Cubs are facing Cincinnati right now in the first round and they're going to get Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer those first two games. Yeah. If you can't score off of a guy like Trevor Williams, good luck scoring off of Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray when postseason starts. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you, we saw what Brault did to the Cubs last night. I mean, he pretty much dominated in his seven innings. Uh, I think that was his final start of the year. The Pirates are going to shut him down for the rest of the week. Um, but, yeah, he – he dominated, and the Cubs are prone to have these games where, you know, if it's a uh, if it, if they're facing a starting pitcher who's, you know, in control, um, and they don't seem to experience early success off of them, that they'd never really get into a rhythm, never really hit off of them. You know, even with Rich Hill in the one game they won against the Twins, Rich Hill struggled out of the gate, but he was able to minimize the damage in that first inning, only giving up a run but then they couldn't do hardly anything against him for the rest of his start. So, yeah, that's the thing about the that's the thing about this team is, you know, um when you talk about the differences they've experienced offensively against um lackluster starting pitching as opposed to star-studded starting pitching and it's a pretty obvious difference, but obviously in the postseason they're going to face a lot of star pitching. So you got to wonder if it would be that sort of home run or bust mentality or whether or not they're going to be able to string together big innings. Another thing, too, is with how poor they've been at hitting the ball with the bases loaded. I mean, I've, I've never seen anything like, like the Cubs have struggled this year because it's not like they're glaringly bad with runners in scoring position. It's just like a weird thing where they'll have these really awesome opportunities to put to, you know, score a bunch of runs, maybe have bases loaded, no outs or one out and virtually nothing out of it. It's almost like they're better at putting together these two out rallies where they maybe have a two out double and then, you know, an ensuing single that scores the man from second. It seems like, better at that than they are taking advantage of bases loaded opportunities um but see that's another thing that are gonna have to snap out of and i wonder if we'll have any opportunities uh to see them how they fare with the bases loaded or see if they're able to put together any really big innings 
um, over the course of these past these last five games to try to get into a rhythm before the postseason. Yeah, I mean, the way they struggle with bases loaded, and I was I always joke about this with my father just because he can't watch the games because we live in Wisconsin. Unless you have MLB.tv, there's really no way you can watch the game unless they're on national TV. Mm-hmm. But like I try to I try to explain to him like why they're struggling so much with bases loaded and things like that. And I don't have really any answers for him. The only thing I can say is it's almost like you have to try to be that bad with runners in scoring position or with bases loaded. Cause it's really something that you never expect to see. Yeah. And then last thing I want to cover with baseball today is uh, the way the playoffs are going to be situated this year. I think we touched on it a little bit last week, but not too much where, this year you're going to have no off days when your playoff series begin because you don't have the travel to worry about. So generally teams carry four starting pitchers for the playoffs because you have those off days thrown in there. And then you have usually a fifth starter kind of as your emergency arm in the bullpen if you need it. Taking away the first series where you're only going to need three pitchers, what do you think the Cubs' plan is for a possible – National League Division Series or possible National League Championship Series when it comes to starting pitching. Quintana's only made that one start last night, and he's only seen eight total innings this year. And Adbert Elzelai, granted, he looked amazing out of the bullpen last night, but do you think he's ready to start a postseason game? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's going to be an interesting factor to see how a lot of teams handle because you know typically you can go with the four-man rotation and do just fine because with all the off days built in due to travel um you don't necessarily have guys getting tired out but yeah this might be a situation where you have to go with the five-man um rotation or at least have something built in where you have like the uh, you know the semi-starter quote-unquote coming out of the bullpen um yeah, it'll be an interesting decision. I mean, giving Quintana the start against the Pirates on Tuesday night, uh, you know, was obviously kind of a, a test for him to see how he could do in a starting capacity. You see, because you know, of course, it's pretty much been a lost year for him. I mean, he had a freak dishwashing accident that cost them, that resulted in thumb surgery. Then was only made, able to make a couple appearances in the bullpen before he experienced other injury issues. Um, but yeah, I mean he's a veteran guy. You know he's a left, which obviously is key for them because Lester is the only other lefty in that rotation. Uh, but um, yeah, he was on a tight pitch count last night. Looked okay. You know, gave up one run, but nothing too bad in his two innings of work. Alzali looked a lot better though. Um, you know, the thing with him is he hasn't really been given the opportunity to develop any type of consistency because he's been called up, sent down, called up, sent down so much this season. Uh, but you know, he looked good last night. Um, I, I'm interested to see how many more innings he'll get to the pitch, whether or not he'll get to make a start, I guess. Uh, here to close out the regular season, these final five games, because he might be the best case scenario of them having a fifth starter. Because um, obviously, he hasn't really dealt with any serious injury issues that we know of. 
uh, at any point this year. Um, you know, he's looked really, really great at times. Uh, you know, last night, I mean, obviously it's the Pirates, but, you know, he still looked pretty good for what it's worth. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, that's something that, I, you know, I'm not even sure that David Ross has an answer to that right now in terms of what he's going to do with that rotation. Obviously, we'll know the main four guys, Andrews, Darvish, Lester, Mills. Uh, but in terms of the fifth guy, uh, I'm not entirely sure right now. Yeah, Elzele, I guess, since the last time they sent him down to South Bend, he's actually developed a slider, which is what he was using last night. So instead of being fastball, changeup, curveball, he's fastball, changeup, curve, and slider now, which if that's the Elzele we're going to expect now, from now on, now that he developed the slider, then the Cubs finally actually do have a pitching product that they finally developed after taking 10 years to do so. Yeah. So I would love to see him on the postseason roster. I think given the way the Cubs situation is right now, you're going to have Hendricks and Mills close out the Pirates series. Then you're going to have Darvish and Lester open up the White Sox series. So they are going to need a starter on Sunday to close out the right. season. It wouldn't shock me at all to see them do the same thing that they did last night. Start Quintana, let him go three innings, maybe four innings, depending on what his pitch count is, and then piggyback Elzelai to finish out that game or whatever. Mm -hmm. If that's the plan, I could see that working in the postseason too because you saw with the Tampa Bay Rays last year, every third day in that pitching rotation, they always did the opener where you had a bullpen arm, pitch one inning out of the pen before they would go to the rotation. Right, yeah. I mean, that may be the best plan of action in order to maximize what both of those guys can bring um, without having to take one out of the equation. But, um, yeah, I mean, that'll be interesting to see what they do on Sunday. Uh, it'll, it'll also be interesting if that's a game that has any type of serious playoff implications, whether it's for the Cubs or for the White Sox. Of course, Quintana pitched for the White Sox for – several years before uh, being traded to the Cubs. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the starting nod in that game. But, yeah, we could see Alzale come into the game. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's just going to be one of the question marks as we head into the postseason. Again, what makes it so interesting is, under, like I said, under normal circumstances in a normal postseason, that wouldn't necessarily be glaring question we could just look forward to having to the both of those guys out of the bullpen um and maybe being ready to start if one of the other four uh starters suffered an injury of some sort also one of chatwood will come back at some point in october um and he'll be another guy who can come out of the bullpen of course he was pretty effective out of the bullpen uh last season he could sort of serve as like a long reliever and come in as a starter, got off to a rough start and got pulled early. So it'll be interesting to see if he factors in at all too. Uh, that's uh, that's just an added storyline that we'll have to look forward to over the course of the next week or so. Yeah, I, I was really hoping Chatwood would not necessarily come back and start at some point to finish the season, but I was hoping to – see him just get some sort of action again out of the bullpen. 
But given what all the reports that we've seen where he has not been responding very well to his throwing sessions, I don't think it's even feasible at this point to expect him back at any point in the postseason because not only has he not now thrown a competitive pitch probably for three weeks, I don't see how there's any way you can get him revved up enough within the next couple of weeks to even have him ready to pitch out of the bullpen in the postseason. Yeah, and you hope for his sake this isn't a situation where he's kind of delaying the inevitable in terms of potentially needing Tommy John or some other major surgery. You know, we saw Verlander do that. We've seen – I think there have been some other pitchers who have kind of put off, you know, stuff like that this year and have had to uh, undergo surgery in the end. So, you hope say that's not what it'll end up being because obviously that would cost him the entire 2021 season and might kind of jeopardize his career or what's left of it so yeah he's already had that surgery twice too oh, so yeah. If, yeah, yeah, if, anyone, yeah. if anyone knows his body in terms of that it would be yeah. Chatwood. Mm-hmm. But like you said I'm wondering if he's delaying it just with some glimmer of hope that he can pitch in the postseason knowing that this was a contract year from him. This was the year that he was hoping to prove himself to be a starter somewhere else next year. And first three starts of the year before he got hurt, he was looking like an option that the Cubs could probably extend beyond this year because of how good he was. And then all of a sudden, the next two starts, he does terrible, mainly because he got injured, was coming back off of his injury. And then his final start against the Reds, he looked good again through three innings until that elbow went. And I just, my outlook on Tyler Chatwood is not good at this point, mainly because he's had the Tommy John surgery twice. Yeah. And when you have that surgery twice, if you have it again, your days as a starter are pretty much over at that point where he may just have to bite the bullet and be like, if I'm going to sign with anybody, I'm going to have to sign as a middle late inning reliever. So I don't put that stress on my arm anymore. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Due to his injury history there. Yeah, that would be a, a crushing blow. I mean, I mean, if he would have to undergo that for a third time, that might kind of spell the end of his career, unfortunately. But um, what's so sad about it is, is he was really rocking and rolling early on, and then he had that back issue that came out of nowhere, remember, where he had his, his start scratched. Yep. And it was like he was never really the same after that. And I'm wondering if that was a big – factor in the elbow injury because if you ask a lot of pitchers I think I want to say Carlos Sombrano had this issue in 2011 as well where he kept having like that random backness tied up tied up on him or whatever mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden a couple starts later he started having forearm and then shoulder pain and things like that I'm wondering if with that back injury that Chatwood had if he started to over overcompensate a little too much when he was pitching putting more stress on the elbow and not using his back as much as he normally would, hoping to prevent injuring it further. Yeah, maybe so. Um, but yeah, just to kind of, you know, wrap to uh, wrap up with the points I was making about him, um, you know, while it would be nice to him at some point in the postseason, I'm definitely not keeping my hopes up for that. So we just got to hope for the best for him to do what's right in terms of his body and getting healthy. Uh, you know, heading into the 2021 season. And last topic we'll touch on briefly is 
Chicago Fire once again. Uh, they do return to the field tonight against the Houston Dynamo, and then they get another home game on Sunday against Atlanta United. So a nice little two-game homestand before we get to that final leg of the scheduling process that they just finished adding on Monday. Last game last week in that Orlando was not pretty. It was a 3-1 to one defeat to Orlando City, but the silver lining that the fire can take away from that game is Orlando actually has now surpassed Columbus as the best team in the Eastern Conference. And Francisco Calvo had two goals disallowed because of controversial offside calls. So that, to me, I watched the game start to finish. The one offside call never should have been called. The second one was borderline where it could have gone either way. So you're looking at, in my opinion, you're looking at a 3-3 game at Orlando and not a 3-1 defeat. Houston is a decent team. They're not a top-of-the-flight Western Conference team like they used to be. And this is not the same Atlanta United team that was making basically the MLS Cup final for a couple of years in a row a few years ago. The next two games for the fire here, obviously it would be very nice for them to get six points out of this and basically put themselves right back in the playoff hunt. But if they can come away with four points over their next two games, they'll only be sitting out of that final playoff spot by two points heading into those final nine games of the season. Um, for what, yeah, the Orlando City game uh, match, I, I think it ended up maybe 4 1. Uh, yeah. Three, yeah. yeah. That they uh, had a couple good opportunities that they potentially missed out on. You know, and obviously Orlando City's a top tier club, like you said, um, right up there with Columbus. But yeah, it's just interesting the way things have worked out with this unique circumstance regarding this year's postseason that the fire, despite being the bottom fears in the in in the standings and only having nine points so far, I mean it's still reasonable to think that they could reach the postseason um with what they can potentially get done. Uh, in the coming days. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta, for sure, they should be able to um, take care of business at home against them. Uh, Atlanta's, you know, near the bottom of the standings, right with Chicago. Uh, not not nearly what they were two seasons ago when they won the NLS. So, yeah, I mean, it'll just be a matter of the fire. I guess it's kind of like the Cubs, just developing some type of consistency down a stretch and being able to get a point here and a point there, a couple of points here and a couple of points there, and just um and just work their way into the postseason. I mean, for a club that's uh you know looking to build and, and get back to postseason relevancy like they are, just simply sneaking into the playoffs would be a huge victory in and of itself. I mean, obviously they're not gonna be competitive for the MLS Cup this year. But if they could um find a way to sneak into the playoffs, that would be huge. Yeah, stranger things have happened in sports, obviously, in terms of teams that get hot at the right time, sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed or whatever seed they get. And then because they're playing so well, they find ways to continue that through the playoffs. Soccer is a little bit different in terms of that because it's such a tactical game where even if you get on a nice winning streak to end the season – it doesn't necessarily mean that streak's going to continue in the playoffs just because every team plays a different style of soccer and every team plays 
a different tactic versus baseball. It's the same game. People throw you a ball, you try to hit it with a bat. Do things differently. I just, in terms of like a, not necessarily a confidence standpoint, but more of a building block. I think the fire are in a very good position to rip off a nice stretch of games where, yes, they may not get points in every game, but no more of these four to one, three to nothing defeats. I think they're in a very nice stretch of games where they can be competitive the full 90 minutes where if a bounce goes one way or another, they could end up on the winning side more than the losing side in quite a bit of these matches. Yeah, for sure. I agree. But that's all the time I got for you today, Cole. Um, This weekend is going to be obviously a very exciting weekend in baseball as both teams are going to finish what they started this season. They're both postseason bound. They're both going to try to wrap up one of the top three seeds in their respective divisions this year. And then the Bears are going to look to go 3-0. and So I'm pretty sure we're going to have a lot more to discuss next week because next Wednesday is when the yeah, postseason starts. Sure. I mean, it's it's crazy that we've already reached the uh, stretch here of the uh, regular season in Major League Baseball. Seems like yesterday we were getting back to action with those summer camp exhibition game so it'll be fun to see how everything shakes out especially with the expanded playoffs and uh, yeah a lot to look forward to so be sure to follow us and we'll be covering all of that good stuff at uh, our Bears, Chicago Sports HQ, Knights Cubs HQ, Chicago Bears HQ, Chicago Bulls HQ just check us out and um, yeah we'll be we'll be right here with you throughout all the postseason action as the NFL season all right i will talk to you next week cole and have a great rest of the day for you today as well as through the weekend bye yeah thank you